Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Purest water make me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you Greetings, saints. Many blessings to you. Thank you for joining us today for the Unleavened Bread Bible Study. Father, we thank you so much for making this possible, and we ask that um, understanding would be imparted to people concerning the things that are happening in these days. And uh, we thank you so much, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to continue. Uh, with faction cannot prevail, eight. And the first revelation we're going to share is uh, imposter seducer. And this is by Anonymous, given to Anonymous, seven twenty five twenty three. I dream this man came over leading another man and around four women that came and sat in the lake with us. I believe the lake here represents peoples as in the scriptures and revelations. The leader man sat next to David and was acting to David as if he was best friends and acting so very friendly. Well, this was Kevin C. Ray. Um, he did act this way. He was always an imposter, uh, seducing people to think that he was a good person. And for years, he fell into every faction that came by to prove that he was not a good person. As soon as I looked in the leader's man's eyes, I saw demons of sexual lust and perversion. Well, the dreams of our men and women especially uh, proved this, and they were fulfilled in his actions. But we treated him with love, and we did our best to help him to change. His personality was like a salesperson that has much self-confidence and uses flattery and nice words to trick people uh, to like him and to uh, listen to him. He was that kind of person. Well, yes, this is Kevin. Uh, he was um, selling himself as someone that he isn't. But the demeanor um, of this dreamer did not know him at the time. And when witchcraft and perversion was added to Kevin because of this, he used it to seduce women and a man. I didn't feel I could trust him at all, and he didn't seem genuine, but it was like he had many faces that he would hide behind. But this man was the type of man that many people were attracted to because of his false qualities, which were just acting. David and Michael were genuine and uh, kind to this man, like they are with everyone, but they seemed to be very wary of him also, and that's true. 
The leader man just talked so much as if he was with the UVM and as if he was really important, and he had much pride. It was made known that the man with him was a close friend of his, and he constantly stayed next to him shoulder to shoulder, agreeing with everything he said. Well, this was Eddie Brast. He went on to say, she went on to say, it seemed like he was in love with him. And this is true. Um, He believed every lie Kevin told him, and dreams and actions proved that this was a bisexual relationship. The leader always hung out and spoke to the factious bisexuals and homosexuals from um, earlier factions. Going on, it says, but the four women had just met these guys at the lake. So the leader man then went and got these printed papers, and they were stapled together. He handed out one uh, each to all of us except Michael and David. (laughs) He wasn't going to impress us, that's for sure. I, I quickly skimmed through it. And it was basically all these pictures and words trying to convince the reader that this leader man is an awesome man. And if you follow him and be friends with him, he will give you whatever you want or desire. But everything in there was highly sugar-coated, and naturally it looked innocent and good, but what was really behind it was evil. Well, of course, he is controlled by seducing and acting demons and uh, witchcraft, and he's putting on a show. I overheard the four women saying that they love it, and a few of them desperately desired a husband, and they thought they would get a husband from this. They thought everything would be perfect, and they literally fell in love with this man just from reading these things. Well, this is a spirit of seduction and lust that he put on the women. I knew this whole thing was wrong, and it was like a scam. So I went and asked this leader man a bunch of innocent questions uh, relating to this book thing he had. All I did was ask questions, but his own answers basically exposed himself and his evil, corrupt intentions. His evil was brought into the light from his own words in front of everyone there. He was then embarrassed about his sins being exposed in front of Michael and David, and he told the others to follow him, and he quickly left without saying goodbye. Well, this is exactly what happened uh, when he was uh, revealed to our body. Uh, And the Lord did that. The Lord gave the people dreams, visions, revelations, words, uh, and we knew by his actions, uh, seducing young women and things like that. We, We saw that. The other man and the four women left with him. So it was just us and Michael and David again. They were amazed that the man exposed himself, and it confirmed the actions that the rumors had said about him. I then understood that that um, was the man the other brethren were warning us about. Yep. So here's a word. 
given. Um, 729.23, it's anonymous. A word from the Lord. Eve is to experience this path and trial. This is a teaching to help her learn and overcome. Much of the path taken is to show in a real demonstration of how vile this faction spirit is, not only for her and her children, but for others who know and see where and what she has and is currently going through. The release and final conclusion where she will be able to come back will occur. This will be the removal of Kevin and Eddie. And uh, my note here is that, um, oh, excuse me, their note here was that uh, I then saw them both falling to the ground while clutching their chests as having a fatal heart attack. It was like a uh, red lightning bolt went through them both at the same time. And I know it was an archangel sent with power and authority and unstoppable might. Well, the bolt of lightning uh, could be the sign of the judgment from God that's been threatened for some time. But the physical death could be caused by the clot shot or the same poison in the chemtrails, which often takes out the heart. And I say this because we have other dreams about Eddie, for instance, dying from snake poison coming upon him from the sky. And this has been administered by a clot shot and from chemtrails. Okay, back to the prophecy here. It is here Eve will be able to walk free from shackles and torment. In other words, after the death of these controlling spirits in these people. Only from the final conclusive event that will occur. Pray for all of their souls. Do not rejoice. Have sorrow for all. I am in suffering for each of them. My dearest David, for you, I am with you in the physical and spirit. I know your anguish and your desire for her and all the captives to be set free. Yet this is a purification process for each. For you especially to trust me implicitly and absolutely without any holding on to or second guessing. Have you any other options but my decision? It will come to pass, and the time and the understanding on what ensued, it uh, not thought about. In other words, we won't have to think about it. We will know. We will all celebrate together. Be assured completely, I have made a way. Unquote. And then this revelation, Freeing the Children of God, Anonymous, 2021. Okay. I dreamt that I was standing in the lounge room of a man's house that I didn't know. The house was on a big property. This is representative because it's spread out, right? 
and it had a large driveway, and there was much uh, space between the entrance of the property and the house. And this is representing the house of the Satanists who have God's uh, people captive. Behind the house was a yard, but behind that was all a bush like a national park. The whole property was fenced, representing captivity. I went inside the house to get something, although I don't know what, and there were two men and a woman that lived there. And uh, this is Kevin, Eddie, and Eve in the spiritual house. Again, this is not an individual house. This is a spiritual house. Uh, one man was the only one here right now, and he went into a separate room to grab the item that I was here for. Well, what it ended up being is that they were there for the children of God that were seduced uh, with their slander, witchcraft, and holding them in captivity. I sensed something not right in the spirit about this place. I looked around the room and I saw what looked like a red cupboard door behind me. I walked over to it and opened it and I saw a yellow slide that went down around in a circle leading down to the basement. Well, yellow, of course, represents danger. Um, and this is hidden beneath the surface of their seductive smiles, uh, and it caused captivity because they do come on like uh, smiling and happy and, yes, you need something they have, but you really don't. <laughs> I slid down the slide and landed in the basement where there were around a 100 children all crowded together. And I believe this is representing the children of God held captive by their demons. Okay. Again, they're not in one individual house, but they're in the house of Kevin, so to speak. <coughs> there was barely any room between them, and they were all different ages. Uh, that's spiritually speaking. So the ages are talking about them in the spirit. Uh, they lost a lot of ground when the faction spirits came over them. A lot of ground. Some of them even told me that, David, everything that you taught me, everything that I saw and understood is gone from my mind. So they lose a lot of ground. And they don't even believe in those things anymore. So they were all different spiritual ages, from babies to young teenagers, boys and girls. They didn't know who I was, and they never said anything to me, but I knew this was wrong. I just felt in my spirit that these children didn't belong to these people. Well, that was back in 2021, and yep, it turned out to be true. And they had been kidnapped and used for evil. I picked up two of the young children, and I told the other children to pick up younger children, and I told them to all follow me, and I will take them away from this place. 
There was a window that led out of the basement, and I opened it and helped all the children get out of it. Uh, The window could represent uh, the open window to heaven that we have to Father's throne of grace. God's going to offer his grace to set the captives free, like Isaiah 61. I was surprised that the children hadn't gone out the window themselves or tried to escape. To my shock, when all the children were let out, they were all just standing there. I had expected them to have run off away from this place and to be rejoicing in their freedom. Well, the faction uses satanic brainwashing Uh, slandering the righteous, telling them lies, mind control, manipulation, fear, and threats to keep them in bondage. So they don't think they can go anywhere else. You've seen that in religion, right? They get to telling you how good they are and how bad everybody else is, and pretty soon you don't think you can go anywhere else. This is it. (laughs) No. I told them all to follow me as quickly as they can and to run to the gate. Many toddler boys ran ahead of me towards the gate. Some children walked or ran around me, but many were still behind me. And I kept encouraging all the children to keep walking as fast as they can and keep telling them that they will be going to a better place. Well, I'm sure that much of this will be done through warfare and prayers of faith, but I do believe we're coming to the end of this. So anyway, your prayers and your faith and your warfare is important now to set the captives free, to deliver them from mental and spiritual bondage. It was a long walk to get to the front gate, and as I walked, I turned around, and I could still see the house. I saw the two men and the woman standing on the deck, and they were watching all of us. I thought they would run after us, but I heard them calling out to the children to come back. Well, they know the power of this witchcraft and its curses, and uh, they know that um, if these people, any that still have those spirits, they've got control, you know. Some of the children seemed to be confused whether to listen to me or the people back at the house, and some of the children were hesitant and stopped walking, and I looked behind and asked them to keep walking. And they didn't have to go back to that evil. A few of them looked at me, but then turned back and walked to the house. Well, there's much confusion operating through the faction. Uh, These are spirits put on them through brainwashing and confusion to keep them in captivity. I was still carrying babies and trying to encourage all the children to keep running towards the gate and not to look back. Yep, don't look back, like Lot's wife, right? 
I was always calm and uh, speaking in a gentle, loving tone, and I felt uh, so much love for all of these children, and I really wanted to protect them and to get them to a safe place. However, so many more of them turned back, and I was so confused about why they would want to go back. Maybe because they were not delivered from those spirits and they were afraid to go somewhere they didn't know. All of the children, including the teens, always had a neutral facial expression. Yeah, I call it the calf at the new gate expression. (laughs) They never said anything, and they didn't do anything without being told. Yes, they were used to being uh, told what to do. They wouldn't climb out of the window and, and walk to the gate unless I told them. It was like they couldn't do anything by their own will, but only by being instructed by someone else. Well, this is due to captivity to Kevin's ruling demons over their individual demons. They are uh, lifeless with a lack of love. Uh, we have to continue to pray against the faction and their witchcraft, casting down all of their plans of evil devices and curses over God's children. We must cast out witchcraft, voodoo, faction, criticism, lust, slander, and suspicion, demons from them. And distance doesn't matter. You can do it right where you are, right? And they didn't go back to the house until they heard the voice from the people telling them to come back. It was very strange. Well, no, no, uh, not if you understand the Jim Jones cult, which is exactly like this one in a lot of ways. Um, They've been conditioned and controlled with satanic ritual abuse and deception of slander against others. They found this to be a place of safety from the false slander that they heard against others. And many of them are captured by slander. And if we don't listen to slander, and you have to have two or three witnesses, then it really cuts them off. They don't have any authority then. If a person just obeys the Scriptures and obeys Jesus' commands in Matthew 18, 15 through 17, um, and uh, if they obey that, uh, they won't have any problems. Or if they obey Titus three ten and 11, you know, they won't have any problems. A factious person after a first and second admonition refuse. If you obey that, you'll be all right. I just kept moving and encouraging the children to all keep walking, and it was an easy walk to the gate. It was a little distance, but there was nothing in the way. And when we almost got to the gate, I looked up to the sky, and it was night. But I could see so many stars. But a giant strong wind started all around us. And up above there were items flying around. I saw chairs and household items, leaves and many other 
random things flying high up in the sky from the strong winds, and it felt as if a cyclone was close. Well, this could represent um, the war in the heavenlies, uh, as we do spiritual warfare against the enemy, commanding the release of those in captivity. Um, we see that war uh, in Revelation chapter 12, where the dragon is seeking to control the man-child and the woman, but he is cast down uh, by the saints and their faith and their trust in the blood of the Lamb, etc., but Satan and the faction have already been defeated for the elect's sake. Uh, we need to continue to sing praises to God and to rejoice in the release of all those being held captive in deception. I told the children to all go through the gate, but I looked around and I saw all the teenagers walking or running back to the house. I called out to them to please not go back because they don't deserve that evil. They didn't even look at me, but kept going back to the house. Well, let me say, the older we are in the Lord, the more responsible we are to go against our flesh, which is totally against their mindset. And also, teenagers are more affected by the lure of sexual sins that are going on in this cult. Most of the children that stayed with me and went through the gate were young babies around five years of age and some a little older. No, notice that all the children of God in captivity are immature. And that's, well, that's partially because of the... Uh, the demons that are come on them, which we call them the stupid demons, okay, um, and partially because they were captured because they were immature in the obedience to Scripture. And Jesus said, except you become as a child, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So therefore, some of these um, really thought that they had reached their zenith and um, they didn't really believe they were children, right? We all then went through the gate and were all safe, but the majority of the children went back to the house. Well, this is according to what the Lord has shown us already. We were told that only a third of those who went into faction would return, and these are the elect. Matthew 19 and 14 says, But Jesus said, Suffer the little children and forbid them not to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of the heavens. Amen. Isaiah 49 and 25, But thus saith the Lord, Even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away, and the prey of the terrible shall be delivered. For I will contend with him that contendeth with thee, and I will save thy children. Praise be to God. Well, uh, they said this reminded me of the song, Enemy's Camp, where we are to take back what the enemy stole from the kingdom of heaven. Amen. I agree with that. 
That's very much true. Well, from here on, I'd like to say that an evil alliance of spiritual Edomites have come together to persecute Christians here and overseas. And, of course, they'll all go down as the Lord comes to judge them and stains his garments with the blood of the Edomites. Edomites, of course, are those who hated their own brother and were Judases to them. And like Judas, um, at least their leadership is going to die. And I say many of them too. But we'll see. Okay, uh, we call this Satanists Joined Together to Murder Christians. The Catholic Satanists, with the help of JW spies, that's Jehovah Witness spies, have just bombed a funeral party in the Middle East killing Christians because they were converting people from their cult and, um, and eternal death. Because obviously these people are not Christians, but the Christians are, and they're sharing the simple word with people that are bringing multitudes into the kingdom. And the Christians, of course, um, um, do not resist the evil of these people, but they just share a loving uh, revelation of truth. But the Catholics cannot stand that. The JWs can't stand that. Uh, the Coptics can't stand that because it's plundering their people, which is what we're commanded to do. Uh, our first nasty email from a Catholic enforcer, probably a Jesuit, blamed their stabbing of our brethren to death, uh, who did not resist them. On me, because my books speak only the Bible truth and deliver their people from hell. So, he said that they would do a black mass to kill me, which is witchcraft, of course. And they did, but I'm still here. And we just received the second nasty email from an enforcer of the Catholic religion, probably a Jesuit, bragging on the deaths of... Uh, in the Middle East, and speaking of our own deaths in the local body very particularly because um, their brethren over here in the Satanist cult have killed people in our body, both spiritually and physically. The information could only have come from our Satanist faction. It was so particular. So, uh, who is guilty of those deaths by witchcraft? And that's headed by Kevin C. Ray. That's R-E-A. Who hacks our phones and email and stalks our women. He uses witchcraft, voodoo, and faction to overcome the minds of our women so he can violate them. A practice common to Satanists. These two Satanist groups have uh, many things in common historically. They hate the scriptures and those who publish them. They both take advantage of women sexually and sacrifice children. In our case, their children were sacrificed to bisexuality, Satanism, 
and general anti-Christian behavior and full of witchcraft and faction. They put everything that they had on their children. Operation Disclosure reported that the Alliance arrested many of the cardinals and others who were then tried and executed for molesting and sacrificing children. And we were told the current Pope is a look-alike because he was prosecuted for the same thing and executed. So he was bragging about his Pope taking back over that land. But that's not possible. So one search of the Internet brings up the historic murder of multitudes of Christians by the Catholic Church. On the first page of the search, there comes up these articles. I didn't even go past the first page, uh, from which I, I briefly quote. Anyone who wants to can go into the articles and read more of the particulars. Um, too much, obviously, to get into this program today. Uh, if you wanted to understand the full scope of these slaughters, it's it's nasty. So here's the first article I picked up on. How many people has the Catholic Church killed? Hmm, i got a link here you can follow. Uh, quote, the Catholic Church is one of the most notorious and deadliest organizations in history. It has killed an estimated 1.2 billion people over its history, making it responsible for more deaths than any other institution. In addition to its murderous legacy, the church has been accused of sexually abusing children and women for centuries. Well, this is very true, and you can go read the whole thing if you want. But my note here is that this does not include all of the children of these murdered Christians who would have grown up to be Christians. Uh-huh. So you can see that the devil through them is trying to stamp out Christianity. Here's another one. Did the Roman Catholic Church actually persecute and kill other Christians? I have an argument with this word other here. They are not Christian. I was raised a Catholic. They are not Christian. That's a fake. And this comes from uh, ChristianForums.com. Many today don't believe that the Roman Catholic Church actually persecuted and killed other Christians, and yet the record is clear that it did. So if you want to read on in that link, you'll see the fuller story of the slaughter of multitudes of Christians by the Catholic hierarchy. The Albigenses, the Beezers, the Cathars, the Waldensians, the Spanish Inquisition, the Hussites, Spanish Netherlands, the Huguenots, 30 years of war against the Protestants, uh, on and on. Again, these all of these stories are told here. And this does not include the persecution and killing of Jews. They have a hatred for Jews too. Jews were enslaved, their properties confiscated, their children forcibly baptized, and when the Crusades began, thousands of Jews were slaughtered all through Europe, and they marched to the Holy Land, as they marched to the Holy Land. 
Jews were exterminated by them in England, Spain, France, Poland, Germany, Bavaria, Austria, etc. And if you remember ISIS or ISIL, uh, Muslim fanatics, they have nothing on the persecution of Christians by the Roman Catholic Church. They don't even count as a blip on the screen compared to these people. And yet, Politicians go shake the Pope's hand all of the time. How disgraceful. Uh, Here's another one. Again, all on the first page. Uh, Did Catholics kill Christians? This is Answers.com. Quote, Unfortunately, yes, the Catholic Church was prepared to kill members of any Christian group that threatened their monopoly on power, and I might say money, The bloodiest example was the slaughter of the Cathars, a Gnostic Christian sect in southern France during the Middle Ages. In 1099, the First Crusade established under papal authority uh, took Jerusalem and massacred the population, regardless of whether they were Muslim, Jewish, or Christian saying that God would decide their fate in the next life. Oh, my goodness. That's a Muslim trait, too. They will kill Muslims in order to be able to kill Christians, you know. And they say, well, they'll, the Lord will pick them out, you know. Well, the People's uh, Crusade of, 19, of 1096 attacked the Hungarian city of Semlin and burnt Belgrade before being escorted across the Bosporus by Byzantine guides. It's well known that the Catholic Church instituted a pogrom against those accused of witchcraft, eventually resulting in the torture and execution of thousands of innocent women. That's not all they got from those women. Okay. These demons, um, like the enforcers always accuse the Christians of doing what they themselves are doing. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> yeah, same demons. At first, this could at least be justified by the superstition of the time. I don't think so. And gradually, the inquis- inquisitions degenerated to the point that women were accused and executed so that their wealth could be seized while in other cases they were allowed to go free in return for handing over property or for sexual favors. This is one of the saddest chapters in Catholic history. Well, it seems that they have graduated to molesting and sacrificing babies more today, but um, they never left the other either. The Catholic Church is a large part of the harlot of Babylon. She is a mother of harlot religions born from her, which are the traditional apostate Protestant religions. This is my notes here. The apple didn't fall far from the tree. Revelation 17, 1 through 6, And there came one of the seven angels, that had the seven bowls, and spake with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the judgment of the great harlot that sitteth upon many waters. Yeah, well, many peoples, tribes, and tongues. 
She is a harlot because she received the seed of the world instead of Jesus. They proclaim that they're Christian. They are not. Uh, number verse 2. With whom the kings of the earth committed fornication. There's the politicians. And they that dwell in the earth were made drunken with the wine of her fornication. So the political types always cater to the masses of duped religious people. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting upon a scarlet-colored beast. This is the one-world political beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet. That's their favorite colors, by the way and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, rich beyond her needs, while her people starve. Yes, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations, even the unclean things of her fornication. And she will be and do anything you want if it pleases her flesh and makes her money and gains numbers. Okay. And upon her forehead a name written, Mystery Babylon, the great, the mother of the harlots of the abominations of the earth. So she brought forth the harlot churches. Yeah. They're called the Protestant churches. Go back and look at those uh, as they started out. They're not far from the original. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints. Yep, she has murdered multitudes to hold her evil position. And with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. Yes, we're very familiar with that in the Middle East. We've buried some of her martyred saints. And of course, it's our fault to them, which is... Uh, stupid demons, right? And when I saw her, I wondered with a wonder. Yeah, Revelation 18, 1 through 3. After these things I saw another angel coming down out of heaven, having great authority, and the earth was lightened with his, his glory. And he carried with a mighty voice. He cried with a mighty voice, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great and has become a habitation of demons, and a hold of every unclean spirit, and a hold of every unclean and hateful bird. So, let me say, the Catholics are part of the religious side of this. There's also a political side of this, like the deep state, but they got the same demons. For by the wine of the wrath of her fornication, all the nations are fallen. And the kings of the earth committed fornication with her. And the merchants of the earth waxed rich by the power of her wantonness. And the light of a lamp shall shine no more at all in thee. There will be no light in that corrupt institution. And the voice of the bridegroom and the of the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee. There will be nobody in that corrupt institution that is a member of the bridegroom or the bride, right? 
For thy merchants were the princes of the earth. For with thy sorcery, same word for witchcraft, by the way, which our Satanists are famous for too, were all the nations deceived. And that's what they do with their witchcraft. Ours, um, our local satanic coven, um, they deceive people with witchcraft. And in her was found the blood of the prophets and of the saints and of all that have been slain upon the earth. Yep. They're guilty of the blood of the saints. Revelation 19, 1 through 3. After these things I heard, as it were, a great voice of a great multitude in heaven, saying, Hallelujah, salvation, glory, and power belong to our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. For he hath judged the great harlot, her that corrupted the earth with her fornication. And he hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And a second time they say, Hallelujah! And her smoke goeth up forever and ever. And now our Satanist faction has joined with them and will receive of her plagues. They too are guilty of the blood of the saints. I was raised a Catholic but left in my teen years. And when I and my wife were later saved and started reading the Bible, we realized that we had been completely lied to about God and that none of the people I knew in Catholicism knew that you must be born again. And I witnessed that they were not by nature born again. It was a huge deception to keep people from the truth. My wife was almost a nun in her last year of training before I met her when she asked God if she was to come back to the uh, the next year for more training of the same. And he told her very clearly, she said she never heard anything more clear, get out of here and never come back. After she was saved and learned about the deception, she decided to go to a Catholic study to ask questions. Uh, They don't study the Bible, by the way. And when she brought up uh, some of the history, the priest told her, quote, leave the skeletons in the closet, unquote. (laughs) In other words, let me say, if the root is rotten, so is the tree. Okay. She was dating two people. After that, she came out. Um, uh, at one time, one had studied to be a priest, and then there was me, who was, who was to her a pagan. So, uh, she asked the Lord, uh, which one she would marry. And to her shock, he said, David. <laughs> so then she said, well, you'll have to save him then. So he did but not how she had expected at that time. Okay. There is an exception to the rule in Catholicism. Uh, Some of the Catholic Charismatics are saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, And, by the way, the Holy Spirit is leading the elect out of the false traditions of men. 
I know I've been associated with them somewhat, and I can see that they're coming out. My mom was a Catholic because she had that religious spirit connected to it. So being weak to the weak, I took her to a Catholic charismatic meeting. And a nun in full habit locked eyes on her and came to ask her if she could speak with her in another room. And she agreed. So I went along for the ride. And that nun was in disguise and preached the gospel to her straight as an arrow. I mean, it was awesome. It wasn't long after that that she was reading uh, the testimony books on my bookshelf. Praise the Lord. Anyway, the Catholics murder some of our missionaries, uh, but this is having a good effect because people around disagree with that, as they did the first time they murdered some of our people. And it brought them converts. Yeah. Here it is. Vision of the Middle East Brethren Maturity. In other words, this is for the people who had this loss of life because of these Catholics and others. And this is Anonymous 72823. I saw the brethren in the Middle East with extraordinary faith and with no doubt hindering them and knowing their power and authority in Christ and knowing the word spiritually and applying it. They had faith that the enemy can't even touch them because they know the price paid and who uh, of the one who lives in them. I saw demons trembling because of the faith that they had and because Jesus was manifested through them. It was not just their enemies trembling, but also the spirits and all those around them. They were in fear of Jesus in them because he was so strong in them. No weapon formed against them would prosper. And because they knew it is true and they knew Satan is under their feet with no doubt, the enemy's power will be taken away and given to the brethren in full while on earth. While writing this down, the following came to me. Quote, I have a perfect purpose for the circumstances that have been happening with the brethren in the Middle East. I am teaching them many things, and there is a great witness of my truth through all of this. I felt this witness was not just the brethren, but also their enemies and others seeing and knowing about it. Yes, we'll share an instance of that in a, in a moment. Soon, great faith will be poured out and manifested through them, and they will be strong in spirit, and my word will be manifested and applied, and there will be greater miracles and power than you all expect. So here's a vision of the brethren going to be with Jesus. In other words, those who were killed by the Catholics. And this is Anonymous 727-23. I saw a part of heaven, and there were fields, and the grass was greener than any green in the physical. Everything else, however, was like gold, but in different colors, and it was all light. 
Jesus was standing there looking behind me, and his giant arms were stretched out wide, so welcoming as if waiting for a hug. I turned behind me and saw numerous people, women, children, many men walking towards Jesus. They were looking around in extreme awe and joy, and their skin and form were perfect, no blemishes or anything. They were perfect and whole. In other words, some of these people were slaughtered, you know, and they wouldn't have been whole, except they're in heaven now. There was no more evil, no more curse or suffering, only joy. They knew they were home. They were only fully Jesus now, and they were greeted and welcomed, and Jesus was the most joyful that they were now there with Him, one with and in Him. It was as if Jesus had waited forever for that moment of them coming to Him. It felt as if Jesus' heart towards them all, good and faithful servants, But they were each so unique and special, and Jesus needed each of them, and that each individual was so greatly treasured and precious and loved and needed to be with him. I then felt they are all one in Christ now, and all of our brethren, uh, but Jesus and the Father the most, are awaiting for us to be 100% united with them. We sent this and the following one to them to spread around over there, and the people were just joyous. You know, that their loved ones who had been murdered, uh, their missionaries who had been murdered, were happy to be in the arms of Jesus. So we call this one, Enemies Turning to Jesus. Anonymous, 73023. As I was in a state of being half awake and half asleep when I saw a man who was one of the leaders of the false Christian killers uh, in the Middle East. This man was very influential, and everyone looked to him, and he had a zeal for the, quote, Christianity, unquote, he believed in, but he was ruthless. I saw God open his eyes to see the truth of the word. And he truly repented for all the evil that he had done. And God completely changed him. He was sharing the truth with others that looked up to him in the false Christianity religion. And some were so awed and shocked at this man's big change And I knew they would see the real truth, too. Kind of like Paul, right? He was killing Christians. But God made a great change. And boy, he was powerful then. He had something to prove, too. (laughs) I saw there were others who were so angry and filled with such hatred. But by God changing this leader, he became an incredible witness to all those who were under him and looked up to him. I knew that this was going to happen. It was so awesome and amazing to see. I was then reminded of Saul, 
slash Paul and how Jesus woke him up to the truth. And he had killed many followers of Jesus, just like this man, and had at that, uh, he will come to the truth too. Well, amen. I agree. (laughs) Well, Father, we thank you that you work all things together for the good. We thank you for the love that you are showing our brethren who have passed on. They've done a good job. Uh, Now they're able to rest. And uh, we praise you and we thank you that they're entering into your arms, Lord Jesus, and blessed forever in Jesus' name. Thank you so much, saints, for joining us today. And uh, Brother Michael is coming to share, and uh, some brethren too. So we thank you for that, Father. We ask you to bless them all together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Brother David, and God bless you. Hello, saints. It's good to be back with you again on this lovely, God-leading day. (laughs) Glory to God. Let's go to the Lord. Father God, Lord, bring it in us, put it in us to want more of you, uh, more of the anointing that you've given us, Lord, through the Holy Ghost. And uh, Father, we thank you for opening up our eyes to understand the depth and the uh, magnitude of this baptism of the Holy Ghost. And I praise you and I thank you, Lord, that today uh, with this uh, uh, speaking on the baptism of the Holy Ghost by John Lake, and I thank you for it, Father. He gives us a great uh, insight into just a small portion of what the Holy Ghost is all about, Lord. And I thank you for that. And I thank you, Lord, that you're going to even give us more as the days go on in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father, for the baptism of the Holy Ghost in Jesus' name. Well, that's what I want to talk about. I want to relate to you John G. Lake's uh, testimony of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And he starts out by saying this. He says, the baptism of the Holy Ghost is the greatest event in Christian history. Greater than the crucifixion, of greater import than the resurrection, greater than the ascension, greater than the glorification. It was the end and finality of crucifixion and resurrection, ascension and glorification. If Jesus Christ had been crucified, and there had been no resurrection, his death would have been without avail insofar as the salvation of mankind is concerned. Or if he had risen from the grave in resurrection and failed to reach the throne of God and receive from the Father the gift of the Holy Ghost, the purpose for which he died and for which he arose, would have been missed. It's because there was no failure, and it's because Jesus went to the ultimate, to the very throne and heart of God, and secured right of the he- right out of the heavenly treasury of the eternal soul, the Almighty Spirit, and poured it forth upon the world in divine baptism 
that we are here tonight. The day of Pentecost was the birthday of Christianity. Christianity never existed until the Holy Ghost came from heaven. The ministry of Jesus in the world was his own divine preparation of the world for his ultimate and final ministry. His ultimate and final ministry was to be by the Spirit. The ministry of Jesus during his earth life was localized by his humanity, or localized again in that his message was only given to Israel. But the descent of the Holy Ghost brought to the souls of men a universal ministry of Jesus to every man right from the heart of God. Heavenly contact with the eternal God in power set their nature all aflame for God and with and with God, exalted their natures into God, and made the recipient godlike. Man became godlike. There is no subject in all the Word of God that seems to me should be approached with so much holy reverence as the subject of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Beloved, my heart bleeds every day of my life when I hear the flippancy with which Christians discuss the baptism of the Holy Ghost. When Moses entered into the presence of God at the burning bush, God said, Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place wherein thou standest is holy ground. Exodus 3.51 How much more so when the individual comes into the presence of God looking for the baptism of the Holy Ghost and remembers that in order to obtain this gift, Jesus Christ lived in the world, bled on the cross, entered into the darkness of death and hell and the grave and grappled with and strangled that accursed power came forth again and finally ascended to heaven in order to secure it for you and me. Is there anything under heaven that ought to command our reverence, our holy reverence, our reverence beyond anything else in the world? It surely is the subject of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. My, sometimes my soul is jarred when I hear people flippantly say, Have you got your baptism? Supposing that Jesus was on the cross and we were privileged tonight to look into his face at this hour, I wonder what the feeling of our soul would be. Suppose, supposing we were to follow tonight behind the weeping company that bore his dead body and laid it in the tomb, what would our feelings be? Supposing we were to meet him in the garden as Mary did, in the glory of his resurrection, or supposing that God in his goodness would let us look into that scene of scenes at the throne of God when the heavens lifted up their gates and the Lord of glory came in. Oh, if we could, beloved, we would have a better comprehension of the baptism of the Holy Ghost.
I love that dear old word, ghost. The Anglo-Saxon is ghost, a spiritual guest, heavenly visitor, spiritual presence, the angel one. And that angel one that comes to you and me come right out of the heart of the eternal God, breathed through the soul of Jesus Christ. And when it came upon a man originally, as it did upon the 120 at Jerusalem, no one went around saying, brother, have you got your baptism? Folks, they were walking with their shoes off with uncovered heads, uncovered hearts before the eternal God. I believe that the first essential in a real Holy Ghost church and a real Holy Ghost work is to begin to surround the baptism of the Holy Ghost with that due reverence of God with which an experience so sacred and that cost such an awful price should be surrounded. The baptism of the Holy Ghost is peculiar to the Lord Jesus Christ. I indeed, said John, baptize you with water unto repentance, but he, talking about Jesus, shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Matthew 3, 11 and 12. Jesus Christ, the glorified, must lay his hands on you and on me and bestow upon us all his own nature, the outflow of God, the substance of his soul, the quality of his mind, and the very being of God himself. 1 Corinthians 6 and 19 says, Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? It's a temple of God, a house of God in which God lives. Sometimes I've tried to get it clear before my soul that God lives in me. I have tried to note the incoming influence and power of that pure, sweet, living spirit of the eternal God. I have tried to realize his presence in my spirit, in my soul, in my hands, in my feet, in my person, and being a habitation of God, a habitation of God. God equipping the soul to minister himself, God, to the world. God equipping the soul of man that he may live forever in harmony of mind with God. God furnishing to the soul of man the power of his personality by which man is made as God. For all the godlike qualities of your heart is due to the fact that God by the Spirit dwells in you. What is it that you look for in another? It's God. You look into the eyes of another to see God. And if you fail to see God in the other life, your heart is troubled. You were looking for God. I'm not interested in the form or the figure or the name of an individual. I'm interested in seeing God. Is God there? Is God in that man? Is God in that woman? 
Is it God that speaks? Is it God that moves? Are you seeing God? The baptism of the Holy Ghost was the incoming of God in personality in order that the man through this force might be moved by God. God lives in him. God speaks through him. God is the impulse of his soul. God has his dwelling place in him. You may have God. And that's the wonder of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It's not a work of grace. It is God possessing you. Oh, your heart may have been as sinful as the heart of man ever was sinful. But Christ comes to your soul. That spirit of darkness that possessed you goes. And in its stead, a new spirit comes in. That's the spirit of Christ. You have become a new creature. A saved man, a God-filled man. Sin manifests itself in three ways. In thought, in acts, and in nature. Salvation is a complete transformation. God takes possession of man, changes his thoughts, and in consequence, his acts change. His nature is new. A Christian is not a reformed man. A Christian is a man renewed, remade by the Spirit of God. A Christian is a man indwelt by God, the house of God, the tabernacle of the Most High. Man indwelt by God becomes the hands and the heart and the feet and the mind of Jesus Christ. God descends into man. Man ascends into God. And that's the purpose and power of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. A soul is saved. Now, how does Jesus reach it? Through your hands, through your heart, and through your faith. When God baptizes you in the Holy Ghost, he gives you the biggest gift that heaven or earth ever possessed. He gives you himself. He joins you by the one spirit to himself forever. You know what the requirement is? The requirement is a surrendered heart, a surrendered mind, and a surrendered life. From the day that a man becomes a child of God, baptized in the Holy Ghost, it was God's intention through Jesus Christ, that that man should be a revelation of Jesus, not of himself anymore. And from that time on, the Christian should be a revelation of Jesus. If you were looking to know whether a man was baptized in the Holy Ghost or not, what would you look for? Well, you'd look for God in him. You would look for a revelation of the personality of God. God moving in him. God speaking in him, God speaking through him, and God using his hands, God using his feet, a mind in harmony with God, a soul in touch with heaven, a spirit united and unified with and in Jesus Christ. Now, it is not in my heart to discourage any man or to make you disbelieve for one minute in the trueness of your own baptism in the Holy Ghost. I believe that God, by the Spirit, 
has baptized many in the Holy Ghost. Hundreds and hundreds of people have been baptized in the Holy Ghost during the life of this church in the last six years. But beloved, we have not comprehended the greatness of God's intent. Not that we have not received the Spirit, but our lives have not been sufficiently surrendered to God. We must keep on ascending right to the throne, right into the heart of God, right into the soul of the glorified. The Holy Ghost, not a gift of power, but it's a gift of God himself. And Lake goes on and says, The common teaching that my heart these days is endeavoring to combat is that God comes to present the individual with a gift of power and the individual is then supposed to go out and manifest some certain characteristic of power. No, God comes to present you with himself. Acts 1 and 8, Acts 1 and 8 says, You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Jesus went to heaven in order that the very treasury of the heart of the eternal God might be unlocked for your benefit, and that out of the very soul of the eternal God, the streams of his life and nature would possess you from the crown of your head to the soles of your feet, that there would be just as much of the eternal God in your toenails and in your brain as each are capable of containing. In other words, from the very soles of your feet, to the last hair on top of the, on the top of your head, every cell of your being would be a residence of the spirit of the living God. Man is made alive by God and with God by the spirit. And in the truest sense, man is the dwelling place of God, the house of God, the tabernacle of the most high. Listen, the words that I speak, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwells in me, John 14 and 10. But the Father that dwelleth in me, where did the eternal Father dwell in Jesus Christ? Why, it, in every part of his being, within and without, in the spirit of him, in the soul of him, in the brain of him, in the body of him, in the blood of him, in the bones of him. Every single solitary cell of his structure was the dwelling place of God, of God, of God. When you look for God, you do not look on the surface. You look within. When you discern a man to see whether God is in him, you look into the spirit of him, into the soul of him into the depth of him, that's where you'll see God. And how trifling are the controversies that surround the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Men are debating such trifling issues. For instance, does a man speak in tongues or does he not? Do not think for a moment that I am discounting the value of tongues. I am not, but beloved. I will tell you what my heart is straining for. Down there at Jerusalem, 
They not only spoke in tongues, but they spoke the languages of the nations. If it was possible for old Peter and old Paul or for the Jewish nation, then it is possible to every last one not to speak in tongues alone as we ordinarily understand that phrase, but to speak because God dwells in you and speaks to whomsoever he will in whatever language he desires. And if our present experience in tongues is not satisfying, God bless you, go on into languages as God meant that you should. Dear ones, I feel the need of that and I feel a way down in my heart to a depth that hurts. I lived in South Africa for a number of years, where it is commonly said that there are a hundred thousand tribes of native people. Every last one of the hundred thousand speaks a different dialect. These tribes number sometimes as low as 10,000 people, and sometimes as high as hundreds of thousands, even millions of people. Supposing we were going to undertake to evangelize Africa rapidly, it would be necessary to have a hundred thousand different missionaries and have them all at one time master one particular language, for there are a hundred thousand of them. No, sir. I believe before high heaven that when the spirit of the eternal God is poured out upon all flesh, that out of the real Christian body will arise a hundred thousand men and women in Africa that will speak in the language of every separate tribe by the power of God. The unknown tongue of the spirit was to teach you of God, to be a faith builder in your soul, to take you out into God's big practical endeavor or venture to save the world. And that is the reason, dear ones, that I bring this issue to your soul tonight. And in the matter of the baptism of the Holy Ghost, we are in a state of the merest infancy of understanding, the merest infancy of divine control, the merest infancy in ability to assimilate our environment, including languages. When we go to school, we see classes arranged for every grade. I was talking to a young school teacher who teaches out in the country in a little public school, and I said, how many children have you in your school? She said, eight grades. Fifteen scholars divided into eight grades. The Christian church is God's big school. What student in the eighth grade would think of saying to the child learning its ABC? You haven't anything. Why don't you have the eighth grade to understand it? Well, in due time, he will have it. That's the reason the student doesn't say it. It's because he knows the child will have it one day. And one day that boy will understand just the same as he does. A weak Christianity always wants to drop to the imperfect and adjust itself to the popular mind. But a real Christianity ever seeks to be made perfect in God both in character and gifts. My personal experience. Dear ones, 
I want to repeat to you tonight a little of my own personal experience on the subject of the baptism of the Spirit, for I know it will clarify your soul. My conversion. I knelt under a tree when about 16 years of age in repentance and prayer, and God came into my soul. I was saved from my sins, and from that day, I knew Jesus Christ as a living Savior. There never was a single moment of question about the reality of his incoming into my life as a Savior, for he saved me from my sins. My friend said, you are baptized in the Holy Ghost. Sometime later, I think when I was yet under 20 or thereabout, I met a Christian farmer, Melvin Pratt, who sat down on his plow handles and taught me the subject of sanctification. And God let me enter into that experience. My friend said, now, surely you are baptized in the Holy Ghost. Later in my life, I came under the ministry of George B. Watson of the Christian and Missionary Alliance, who taught with more clearness and better distinction between the baptism of the Holy Ghost and sanctification. And I entered into a richer life and a better experience. A beautiful anointing of the Spirit was upon my life. Then the ministry of healing was opened to me, and I ministered for 10 years in the power of God. Hundreds and hundreds of people were healed by the power of God during this 10 years, and I could feel the conscious flow of the Holy Spirit through my soul and my hands. But at the end of that 10 years, I believe I was the hungriest man for God that ever lived. There was such a hunger for God that as I left my offices in Chicago and walked down the street, my soul would break out and I would cry, Oh God, I've had people stop and look at me and wonder. It was the yearning passion of my soul, asking for God in a greater measure than I then knew. But my friends will say, Mr. Lake, you have a beautiful baptism in the Holy Ghost. Yes, it was nice as far as it went, but it was not answering the cry of my heart. I was growing up into a larger understanding of God and my own soul's need. My soul was demanding a greater entrance into God, his love, presence, and power. And then one day, an old man strolled into my office, sat down, and in the next half hour, he revealed more of the knowledge of God to my soul than I had ever known before. And when he passed out, I said, God bless that old gray head. That man knows more of God than any man I ever met. And by the grace of God, if that's what the baptism of the Holy Ghost with tongue does, I'm going to possess it. Oh, the wonder of God that was then revealed to my heart. I went into fasting and prayer and waiting on God for nine months. And one day, the glory of God in a new manifestation and a new incoming came to my life. 
And when the phenomena had passed and the glory of it remained in my soul, I found that my life began to manifest in the very range of the gifts of the Spirit. And I spoke in tongues by the power of God, and God flowed through me with a new force. Healings were of a more powerful order. Oh, God lived in me. God manifested in me. God spoke through me. My spirit was deified, and I had a new comprehension of God's will, new discernment of spirit, new revelation of God in me. For nine months, everything that I looked at framed itself into a poetic verse. I couldn't look at the trees without it framing itself into a glory poem of praise. I preached to audiences of thousands night after night, day after day. People came from all over the world to study me. They could not understand. Everything I said was a stream of poetry. It rolled from my soul in that form. My spirit had become a fountain of poetic truth. Then a new wonder was manifested. My nature became so sensitized that I could lay my hands on any man or woman and tell what organ was diseased and to what extent and all about it. I tested it. I went to hospitals where physicians could not diagnose a case, touched a patient, uh, I'm sorry, touched a patient, and instantly I knew the organ that was diseased, its extent and condition and location. And one day it passed away. You know, a child gets to playing with a toy and his joy is so wonderful, he sometimes forgets to eat. Oh, say, don't you remember when you were first baptized in the Holy Ghost? And you first spoke in tongues, how you bubbled and babbled. It was so wonderful, so amazing. We just wanted to be babies and go on bubbling and exhilarating. And now we're wondering, what is the matter? The effervescence seems to have passed away. My, it's a good thing that it did. God is letting your soul down, beloved, into the bedrock, right down where your mind is not occupied anymore with the manifestation of God. God is trying to get your mind occupied with himself. God has come into you. Now he is drawing you into himself. Will you speak in tongues when you are baptized in the Holy Ghost? Yes, you will. But you will do an awful lot more than that, bless God. An awful lot more than that. You will speak with the soul of Jesus Christ. You will feel with the heart of the Son of God. Your heart will beat with the heavenly desire to bless the world. Because it is the pulse of Jesus that is throbbing in your soul. And I do not believe that there will be a bit of inclination in your heart to turn around another child of God and say, You're, you are not in my class. I am baptized with the Holy Ghost. That is as far to the Spirit of the Son of God as night is from day. And beloved, if you are baptized in the Holy Ghost, there will be a tenderness in your soul so deep that you will never crush the aspirations of another by a single suggestion. 
but your soul will throb and beat and pulse in love and your heart will be under that one to lift it up to God and push it out as far into the glory as your faith can send it. I want to talk with the utmost frankness and say to you that tongues have been to me the making of my ministry. It is that peculiar communication with God when God reveals to my soul the truth I utter to you day by day in my ministry. By that time of communication with me, it's mostly in the night. Many a time, I climb out of bed, take my pencil and pad and jot down the beautiful things of God, the wonderful things of God that he talks out in my spirit and reveals to my heart. Many Christians do not understand the significance of tongues any more than the other man understands the experience of your soul when you are saved from sin. It has taken place in you. It is in your heart. It is in your mind. It is in your being. And the man who tries to make you doubt the reality of your touch with God when he saved you out of your sin is foolish. It is established in you. The old Methodists couldn't explain the experience, but they said it's better felt than told. They do it by internal knowledge. So it is in a real baptism of the Holy Ghost. So it is in prophecy. So it is in healing. So it is in tongues. Don't throw away what you have. Go on to perfection. The language of the spirit. The spirit of man has a voice. Did you get that? The spirit of man has a voice. The action of God in your spirit causes your spirit to speak by its voice. In order to make it intelligent to your understanding, it has to be repeated in the language that your brain knows. Why? Because there's a language common to the spirit man, and it's not English, and it's not German, and it's not French, and it's not Italian or any other of the languages of earth. It is a language of the spirit of man. And oh, what a joy it was when that pent-up, bursting, struggling spirit of yours found its voice and spoke in tongues. Many a time I have talked to others in the spirit, by the spirit, through the medium of tongues, and knew everything that was said to me. But I didn't know it with this ear. It was not the soul of their words, it was that undefinable something that made it intelligent. Spirit speaks to spirit. Just as mouth speaks to mouth or as man speaks to man, your spirit speaks to God. God is spirit. He answers back. And I believe with all my heart that is what Paul had in mind when he talked about the unknown tongue. The unknown tongue, that medium of internal revelation of God to you. The common language of the spirit of man by which God communicates with your spirit. But if you want to make that medium of internal revelation of God intelligent to other folks, then it must be translated into the language that they know. And that's the reason the apostle says, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. 1 Corinthians 14 to 13 that the church may receive edifying. Paul says, 
in the church, I had rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an internal, or I'm sorry, in an unknown tongue. First Corinthians 14, 19. Your revelation from God is given to you in tongues, but you give it forth in the language the people understand. Beloved, settle it. It is one of the divine mediums and methods of communication between your spirit and God's. And as long as you live, when you talk about tongues, speak with reverence, for it's God. When you talk about healing, speak with reverence, for it is God. When you talk about prophecy, remember, it is God. An illustration. A German woman came to the healing rooms one day and her brother prayed for her. She had been a school teacher, but had to give up her profession because of her eyesight. She came back some weeks later after having been alone for three weeks. She had never been in a religious service in her life where they speak in tongues and had not knowledge of the scriptures on that line. She came back to me with a volume of written material that God had given her when she had been prayed for to receive healing. The Spirit of God came upon her and she was baptized in the Holy Ghost. And now God had commenced to reveal himself to her, teach her of his word and of his will until she filled a volume with written material of her conversations with God. She communed with God in tongues her spirit speaking to God, but when she came to me, I received it in English. And the man that sits alongside of you cannot understand that. He never talked to God. He doesn't understand anything about getting up in the middle of the night to write down what God has said to him. Well, he needs something else to convince him that there is a God. Tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophecy, the outspeaking for God, is for all. Therefore, Paul does not want them to crush a man who is speaking in tongues, but to keep their hands off and stand back. Leave him alone with God. Let him travel away out in his love and power and come back with messages in his soul. But he must not monopolize the time of hundreds of people in the church with a private communication of God in his soul. But when he has completed his interview with God, he gives forth his knowledge as interpretation or prophecy. There have been so many controversies over the various gifts of the Spirit as they appear one after another. 25 or 30 years ago, when we began in the ministry of healing, uh, this particular one was preached in 1941, we had to fight to keep from being submerged by our opposing brethren in Jesus Christ who thought you were insane because you suggested that the Lord Jesus Christ could still heal. In the state of Michigan, I had to go into the courts to keep some of my friends out of the insane asylum because they believed God could heal without taking pills or some other material stuff. It was because they didn't understand the eternal an invisible nature of God. They had no idea God could be ministered 
through a man's hands and soul. Fill a sick man's body. Take possession of and make him whole. The world has had to learn this. It is a science far in advance of so-called material and physical science. Then that marvelous wave of God came over the country from 1900 to 1906 when hundreds of thousands of people were baptized in the Holy Ghost in spoken tongues. But listen, old John Alexander Dowie, riding on the wave of that wonderful manifestation of healing power, wanted to build a church and stamp it with healing only. And his church practically did that and died. Other churches branded theirs with holiness only and died. Others with an anointing of the Holy Ghost called baptism, and they died in power also. Later on, we wanted to build a great structure and stamp it with tongues. After a while, the tongues got dry. Somehow, the glory and the glow had gone out of them. They became rattly and did not sound right. What was the matter? Nothing wrong with the experience. God had not departed from the life, but was hidden from our view. We were absorbed in phenomena of God and not in God himself. Now we must go on. Now, beloved, I can see as my spirit discerns the future and reaches out to touch the heart of mankind and the desire of God that there is coming from heaven a new manifestation of the Holy Ghost in power, and that new manifestation will be in sweetness, in love, in tenderness, in the power of the Spirit beyond anything your heart or mind ever saw. The very lightning of God will flash through men's souls. The sons of God will meet the sons of darkness and prevail. Jesus Christ will destroy the Antichrist. In 1908, I preached at Pretoria, South Africa, when one night God came over my life in such power, in such streams of liquid glory and power, that it flowed cautiously off my hands like streams of electricity. I would point my finger at a man and that stream would strike him. And when a man interrupted the meeting, I would point my finger at him and say, sit down. And he fell as if struck and lay for three hours. When he became normal, they asked him what happened. And he said, something struck me that went straight through me. I thought I was shot. At two o'clock in the morning, I ministered to 65 sick who were present. And the streams of God that were pouring through my hands were so powerful the people would fall as though they were hit. I was troubled because they fell with such violence. And the Spirit said, You don't need to put your hands on them. Keep your hands a distance away. And when, my, and when I held my hands a foot from their heads, they would crumple and fall in a heap on the floor. They were healed almost every one. That was the outward manifestation. That was what the people saw. But beloved, 
something transpired, transpired in my heart that made my soul like the soul of Jesus Christ. Oh, there was such a tenderness, a newborn tenderness of God that was so wonderful that my heart reached out and cried and wept over men in sin. I could gather them in my arms and love them, and Jesus Christ flowed out of me and delivered them. Drunkards were saved and healed as they stood, transfixed, look, looking at me. And during that period, men would walk down the aisles, and when they came within 10 feet of me, I have seen them fall prostrate, one on top of the other. A preacher who had sinned as he looked at me fell prostrate, was saved, baptized in the Holy Ghost, and stirred the nation with his message of love. In 18 months, God raised up 100 white churches in the land. That 100 churches was born in my tabernacle at Johannesburg. The multitude of those who composed that 100 churches were healed or baptized in the Holy Ghost under my own eyes as I preached or prayed. I continued in the ministry of healing until I saw hundreds of thousands healed. At last, I became tired. I went on healing people day after day as though I were a machine. And all the time, my heart kept asking, Oh, God, let me know yourself better. I want you. My heart wants you, God. Seeing men saved and healed and baptized in the Holy Ghost did not satisfy my growing soul. It was crying for a greater consciousness of God. The withinness of me was yearning for Christ on life and love. After a while, my soul reached a place where I said, if I can't get God into my soul to satisfy the soul of me, all the rest of this is empty. I had lost interest in it. But if I put my hands on the sick, they continued to be healed by the power of God. I will never forget Spokane, Washington, for during the first six months I was there, God satisfied the cry of my heart. And God came in, and my mind opened, and my spirit understood afresh. And I was able to tell of God and talk out the heart of me like I never had been able to before. God reached a new depth in my spirit and revealed new possibilities in God. So, beloved, you pray through. Pray through for this church. Pray through for this work. Oh, God will come. God will come with more tongues than you have ever heard. God will come with more power than your eyes ever beheld. God will come with waves of heavenly love and sweetness. And blessed be God, your heart will be satisfied in him. Will a man speak in tongues when he is baptized in the Holy Ghost? Yes, he will. And he will heal the sick when he is baptized. And he will glorify God out of the spirit of him with praises more delightful and heavenly than you ever heard. And he will have a majestic bearing. He will look like the Lord Jesus Christ and he will be like him. Blessed be God. The greatest manifestation of the Holy Ghost baptized life ever given to the world was not in the preaching of the apostles. It was not in the wonderful manifestations of God that took place at their hand. It was in the unselfish manifested by the church. Think of it, 3,000 Holy Ghost baptized Christians in Jerusalem. 
from the day of Pentecost onward who loved their neighbor's children as much as their own, who were so anxious for fear their brethren did not have enough to eat, that they sold their estates and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet and said, distribute it, carry the glow and the fire and the wonder of this divine salvation to the whole world. That showed what God had wrought in their hearts. Oh, I wish we could arrive at that place where this church was baptized in that degree of unselfishness. That would be a greater manifestation than healing, greater than conversion, greater than baptism in the Holy Ghost, greater than tongues. It would be a manifestation of the love of 1 Corinthians 13 that so many preach about and don't possess. When a man sells his all for God and distributes it for the kingdom's good, it will speak louder of love than the evangelists who harp about love and oppose tongues and the other gifts of the Spirit. That was the same Holy Ghost that came upon them and caused them to speak in tongues. No more grabbing for themselves, no more bantering for the biggest possible salary, no more juggling to put themselves and their friends in the most influential positions. All the old characteristics were gone. They were truly saved. While their heart was like the heart of Jesus, their soul was like the soul of God. They loved as God loved. They loved the world. They loved sinners so that they gave their all to save them. Do you want him? You can have him. Oh, he will come and fill your soul. Oh, the Holy Ghost will take possession of your life. He will reveal the wonder of heaven and the glory of God in the richness and purity of his holiness and make you sweet and godlike forever. Thou art not far away. Oh, God, our souls tonight are enveloped in the eternal God. We feel thee around about us. We feel thy precious loving arm and the beating of thy heart and the pulsing of thy heavenly soul. And we are asking thee, my God, that the truth of the eternal shall be breathed into us forever until all our nature is submerged in God, buried up in God, infilled with God, revealing God. Glory, hallelujah. The baptism of the Holy Ghost was of such importance in the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ that he commanded his disciples to tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And they steadfastly carried out what the Lord had commanded, waiting on God in a continuous prayer meeting in the upper room for 10 days until the promise of the Father was fulfilled. And that baptism had fallen of which John the Baptist spoke of in Matthew 3 and 11, saying, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that comes after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. In order to obtain from heaven the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Ghost, it is first necessary that the individual shall know that his sins are blotted out, that the blood of Jesus has sanctified his heart and cleansed him from the sinful nature or Adamic nature, the inherent nature of sin. Personally, I knew that my sins had been blotted out, but it was only two months prior to my baptism in the Holy Ghost 
that I learned by the word of God and experience in my life that the sanctifying power of God subduing the soul and cleansing the nature from sin. This inward life cleansing was to me the crowning work of God in my life at that period. I shall never cease to praise God that he revealed to me the depth of the Holy Ghost, the power of the blood of Jesus. Many inquire what is the reason that when your heart is sanctified and the conscious knowledge of your cleansing has taken place that you are not instantly baptized with the Holy Ghost. Well, from my own experience and the experience of others, it is readily seen that notwithstanding that the heart is cleansed from sin, it is still necessary in many instances for the dear Lord to further spiritualize the personality until the individual has become so receptive to receive within his person the Holy Ghost. The forces of our personality must be subdued unto God. This we commonly speak of as spiritualizing. In many instances, even though the heart is pure, yet the individual has not at once received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and in some instances has given up in despair and turned back to his first works, believing that there must still be sin in his heart thus discrediting what God has already done within him through the blood of Jesus. No, it's not always that the heart is still impure. And it's not because you're not thoroughly sanctified. It is only God waiting and working to bring you to the place and to sufficiently spiritualize your personality that you may receive into your being the Holy Ghost. The baptism of the Holy Ghost is not an influence, nor yet a good feeling, nor sweet sensation, though it may include all of these. The baptism of the Holy Ghost is the incoming into the personality of him, the Holy Ghost, which is the mind and animal life, yea, of your flesh. He possesses the being. The flesh is caused to quake sometimes because of the presence of the Spirit of God in the flesh. Daniel quaked with great quaking when the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Do you realize that it is the Spirit of Jesus who is seeking admittance into your heart and life? Do you realize that it is the Spirit of Jesus within the spirit, soul, and body of the baptized believer who moves him in ways sometimes strange, but who accomplishes the wondrous work of God within the life? And that's why every baptized believer praises God for what has taken place in him. Glory be to God. My thirsting soul, purest water made me whole. Let your streams of mercy flow, oh Jesus. I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For oh, your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus. Yeah. 
sea. Though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word is true. Oh, Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word.